0: Okay, comfy boomers, we have a treat for you today. The young and broke can no longer afford to support the old and rich. Our system has been hijacked, but is relatively simple to fix by Jared A. Brock on Medium. This ought to be good to see how it's going to be relatively easy to fix this. If you are under the age of 40, you are being systematically compelled to bankroll people over the age of 60 in more ways than you can imagine. You're expected to work for low wages at their companies. You're expected to hand over a huge portion of those wages to rent their income properties. You're expected to turn a profit for the companies in their stock portfolio. You're expected to buy their overpriced houses when they decide to sell. You're expected to finance that massive purchase by paying them interest for much of your adult life. You're expected to shoulder the national debt they're so happily expanding by billions each day. Well, I'll break in and say that the national debt isn't what you think it is if you're a follower of MMT and people like Stephanie Kelton, but we'll let that one pass for now. You're expected to fork over a huge portion of your income as taxation to support their favorite programs. Again, I'll say we're not really saying what's going on here with MMT, but that's a a hallowed myth, and I'll go ahead and repeat it here, and then maybe on some other show we'll debunk it. It's true in the parentheses here that we're funding war and subsidizing their largest corporations, but we're not doing it with our taxes. Back to the story. You're expected to use a currency that they're constantly devaluing, and we've talked about that in previous shows. Now here's one that George Carlin has told us. You're expected to pay into pension plans, read pyramid schemes that won't exist when you're old enough to collect, to fund their retirements. The result? Millennials are four times poorer than boomers at their age. If you take an honest look at the stats, it's pretty clear that the older generations are planning to milk our planet dry before they kick the bucket. Millennials hold 4.8% of all wealth. There are now 40-year-old millennials. At the same age, Gen X had 9%. Boomers had 21%. The largest generation in history did what the system told them to do and became the most educated in history. Now they're the poorest in history. So millennials are the largest generation in history. Our system is fundamentally broken. It's built on the myth that the individual is the most important thing. That if you work hard enough, you too can enjoy a free ride. But putting your money to work for you isn't real. You just put younger people to work for you. And we're sick of it. I'll break in and say that I've told my college students many times that the boomers' pensions are funded on student loan debt. Now that's a sick one, isn't it? So here's the simple solution he mentioned. So, what can we do about it? It's not like the old and rich politicians and their old and rich sponsors will help us in any meaningful way. He means the oligarchs. We need to. Capture the full value of our labor by working for ourselves or in cooperation with others. I don't know if that's going to be easy to effect without some capital in our pockets, but let's keep going. Extricate ourselves from the rental market by all moral means. Again, that's kind of a trap, isn't it? 3. Stop working for and buying from any company that flays a profit off the backs of workers. Again, though, how much choice do we have? He says, buy from individuals, co-ops, not-for-profits, etc. But Amazon has a monopoly for a reason. The next one is, quit acquiring their bloated properties and start building environmentally sustainable right-sized shelters. And again, that's difficult if you don't have any capital in your pocket. Fund our life's biggest purchase in a way that doesn't enrich wildly corrupt multinational banks, i.e. use not-for-profits, co-ops, and credit unions. I guess we could do that lobby and resist the expansion of public debt and institute a global minimum corporate tax rate. Now, how are you going to do that with the corporate-funded politicians that are in place now? The corporate share of federal tax revenue dropped from 32% in 1952 to 7% in 2020. It wasn't an accident. But what are we going to do about it other than stage a revolution? Hmm, turns out this wasn't as easy as he said. Resist war and subsidies... How do we resist and refuse to do business with companies that profit from government grift? We don't even know which companies do that, most of us. Reallocate out of government-manipulated, violence-backed currencies. Again, most people don't know how to do that. Avoid supporting pension pyramid schemes and instead focus on old-school savings and real asset investment. I guess you'd need something to invest, though, wouldn't you? This will require us to go against the hyper-individualist consumerist instinct the older generations trained into our heads. It will require us to work together for each other and the common good. And then, when we're old, to not repeat the corruptions of the past. But the money people seem to stick their fingers in no matter what we do, don't they? That was me, if you couldn't tell. Let's be the generation who leaves this place in slightly better shape than it was begrudgingly handed to us. How about if we just tear it apart piece by piece and start over? That's what I say. Now I want to remind you of an article by Caitlin Johnstone that I read part of in a previous episode about AOC and how they're not going to help you if you are in poverty. I'll just read one paragraph quickly here. And this paragraph will reveal why it's so difficult to follow the admonitions of the previous article. The powerful work to manipulate the way the general public thinks, acts, and votes to ensure that they remain in power. They pay special attention to who the most influential people in our society are, which is why the most prominent voices are so often the most delusional. Rachel Maddow. There are filters in place designed to keep anyone from rising to positions of influence if they don't support the consensus worldview promoted by the oligarchic empire, and once they do rise to influence, they are actively herded into echo chambers, which reinforce that worldview. So keep that thought in your head as we go on here. Monopoly isn't a game. It's a prophecy. Now that's an idea that you should hold on to, because this is scary shit. We're living out the insidious rules in real time, by Jared A. Brock. And you can see how this experience he's about to describe informed his previous article. I had a wonderful childhood and wonderful parents, but there is one semi-traumatic memory that has burned itself into my brain. The times when my father essentially forced my family to play the board game Monopoly. My dad's rationale was sound, It was important for his children to learn about money and mortgages and renting and borrowing and how horrible their lives would become as they wasted their prime decades giving a large portion of their hard-earned after-tax income to passive extractor landlords and bankers. It worked. The board game's origin can be traced back to the early 1900s when an anti-monopolist named Lizzie Phillips invented a board game called the Landlord's Game to expose the horrible effects of land concentration in the hands of private monopolies and definitively prove that rents enriched property owners and impoverished tenants. The game had two sets of rules. Anti-monopolists were rewarded for creating real wealth, while monopolists were rewarded for creating monopolies and crushing opponents. Take a guess who won. Modern economic life is far worse than monopoly. In the game, everyone gets a nest egg to start. In life, the poor start with nothing and the rich start with everything. In the game, people all earn the same money on their journey. In life, CEOs can earn up to 434 times their average worker. In the game, all the land is available for purchase. In life, all the property is already taken. In the game, people can buy vacant land and build houses on it. In life, undeveloped properties are now locked by monopolist cartels, typically called city councils, who wield zoning rules that largely forbid individual house development, especially if it's a planet-friendly, environmentally sustainable alternative dwelling. So Jared, you're figuring out that you can't do what you told us to do in your previous article. In the game, people can't stop you from building a house. In life, monopolists make truly affordable human shelter impossible. And it's about to get worse. The Prophecy As the game of Monopoly progresses, every property with a house on it is eventually turned into a passive rental property. This is already the lived reality for America's 115.4 million renters who fork over their hard-earned after-tax dollars to 23.7 million extractive landlords. But that's only half the prophecy. The century old game predicted, with terrifying accuracy, something that no one in the 1900s could have foreseen becoming a reality. That in time, after every owner occupied house had fallen to the landlorder, every rental would be transformed into a hotel. Enter Airbnb, the emerging monopoly that will likely go down in history as the most dangerous and society shattering company ever created. As landlords convert their properties to Airbnbs, and holiday companies buy up collections of Airbnbs, and hedge funds use outrageous leverage to buy up portfolios of holiday companies, and sovereign wealth funds swallow hedge funds whole, it's no wonder that the average house will cost $10 million in 50 years. What's that you say? The average house will cost $10 million in 50 years? House prices used to be based on the maximum amount that an area's average local buyer could afford to mortgage over 25 to 40 years. Under the rapidly emerging monopoly paradigm, a house's value is now the maximum amount of daily rental income that can be extracted from it by a global institutional investor multiplied by maximal institutional leverage. And that, friends, is the truth. The end game. Here's the prophecy. Ironically, Lizzie Phillips' self-published Landlord's Game was eventually stolen and rebranded by a man named Charles Darrow, who became the world's first board game millionaire when he sold the rights to Parker Brothers, who went on to acquire 1,800 other games and sue anyone who tried to create an anti-monopoly game. Ah, this is irony. Parker Brothers was eventually acquired by General Mills, and in 1991, the massive $13 billion games monopoly, Hasbro, ate Parker Brothers whole. Today, Hasbro itself is owned by even bigger entities, including JP Morgan, Vanguard, and the world's largest asset manager, the $9 trillion firm, BlackRock. So now Jared's about to get to a point that I've made before. Games of Monopoly around my childhood dining room table always ended the same way, with all three kids screaming and crying and my mom shouting at my dad for following the rules and making us stay to the bitter end as he squeezed out every last dollar. Eventually, in a rage, one of us would swipe the entire game straight off the table and everyone would storm out, leaving my dad alone with a fistful of worthless money, no game to play, and no one left to play with. I don't know about you folks, but that sounds like the answer to me. If we stay on our current trajectory, that's exactly where we're headed. Now here's Caitlin again to tell us, there's never been a better time to crush capitalism, notes from the edge of the narrative matrix. As you know about Caitlin, she's always telling us about narrative management, and she's continually proving to me that it really is like the matrix. It really is the matrix. The U.S. is on the brink of a massive eviction crisis and the ecosystem is dying and the world order is maintained by endless violence and we're being rapidly transformed into a brainwashed slave class, but it was a small price to pay for some billionaires to pretend to be astronauts for a bit. I'm glad we've already read about the Monopoly prophecy because it fits right in with what Caitlin is telling us here. There's nothing more enraging than a system which treats the homeless like the problem rather than the homelessness. There would be a lot more opposition to the emerging use of police robots if they called them robotic cops instead of robotic dogs. That's another article that she's written that I think you should also read. Every ruler since the dawn of history has been acutely aware that there are a lot more of us than there are of them, and that even their own forces could turn against them at any time. That's what makes robot technology so appealing to the oligarchic rulers of our age. That means we better knock that Monopoly board over pretty quickly before the robots all come after us. Does that sound like the Matrix? Millions of highly traumatized men came home from the world wars and started families and poured all their trauma into the minds of their children. That trauma has been passed down through subsequent generations. That's the real lasting legacy of those wars, not the stuff in the movies. The only way to believe lesser evil strategizing works is to believe the two evils in question are actually two separate and distinct power structures operating in opposition to one another. And the next point follows from that one. It's cool how U.S. progressives are learning that the Democratic Party is a narrative management op designed to continually derail the possibility of economic justice in America. Ding, ding, ding! And it's sad that this lesson will be completely forgotten in the next partisan politics news cycle. We'll just be managed right out of what we know by the narrative managers. We were always headed toward more and more inequality impoverishment and authoritarianism whether you want to call the next step in that direction the great reset or some other name we will necessarily continue along that trajectory until we replace our dominant systems we need to turn over the monopoly board there has never been a better time to crush capitalism the theory The individual is prime, everyone gets total financial freedom, and the government is kept from being a tyrannical dictatorship. The practice, billionaires become tyrannical dictators who turn people into uniform consumers and machine cogs with no financial freedom. I am an individual, yelled the faceless, indoctrinated cog in the corporate machine while churning out products for other faceless, indoctrinated cogs to help them escape the feeling of futility brought on by the meaninglessness of their predicament. Wow. Just wow. Societies which purport to prioritize the rights of the individual do so only up until the point where individuals start talking about maybe not wanting to be ruled by billionaires and secret government agencies anymore. Then suddenly the rights of those individuals get a lot less important and they get algorithmed out of existence. Skipping ahead, if you mentally mute the ideological worldviews, partisan bickering, and sectarian spats and just look at humanity as a whole, What you see is a species on a trajectory toward its own extinction. We are collectively deciding right now whether we continue on that trajectory or not. And I'll say we're deciding whether we're going to turn the Monopoly board over or not. Because change is inevitable and life is inseparable from its ecosystemic context, every species eventually hits a juncture where it has to either adapt to changing conditions or perish. Our juncture just came along faster than most. We either adapt or go extinct. Because our adapt or die juncture came about as a result of our unwholesome relationship with our newly evolved capacity for abstract thought, our adaptation will necessarily need to take the form of moving from an unwholesome relationship with thought to a wholesome one. The good news is that we already know such a move is possible. The bad news is that up until now it's been fairly rare. A movement from a dysfunctional relationship with thought to a healthy one is what the phenomenon commonly referred to as spiritual enlightenment is. What's changed is that we are now being squeezed toward adaptation by the same kinds of pressures that other species have come under, which cause them to attain flight, camouflage, prehensile tails, etc. And we just might make it. Just throw sand in the gears of the machine and try to wake people up in whatever way you can. I wouldn't just throw sand in the gears, I would fucking dismantle that machine as soon as possible. But anyway, she says, throw sand in the gears of the machine and try to wake people up in whatever way you can. No one person can win this, but we can each shine a bit more light on things for others and make life a bit harder for the bastards. Let's not make it a bit harder. Let's take our guillotines to their houses. You can't do everything, but you can do your bit. Well, I want to be the one helping to carry the guillotine.